Charlie here. Quick cold open before we get into the episode. I wanted to explain quickly why we decided to do burnout for the first episode of Uncharted Territory. Personally, I've been experiencing burnout significantly for the past 10 months. After the pandemic hit, I had to work uh, at a grocery store in D.C. where the stress level was pretty high. And then I started grad school and a full-time job in the same month. And that really got to me. In all honesty, I've been burnt out for much longer than that, but it was through this experience that I was able to point out my own burnout and start seeing it in others. And so that's why I want to do this episode today. I also wanted to mention that this show is going to be a critique of the climate movement. And we're going to say things in this show that might not put the best light on the climate movement writ large, but that's going to be okay. Because all three of us, Vic, Luis, and myself, deeply care about the world that we want to create and the future that we want to inhabit. And if any of us are going to be part of this movement, and if we're going to truly change the world for the better, it's very healthy to have people checking in on the status of the movement and making sure we're doing what is right. I want to thank everybody who spoke to me about their stories of burnout for sharing their experiences And I want to thank my fantastic therapist for recommending the literature that has helped me acknowledge my burnout and see it in others. I hope you enjoy the first episode of Uncharted Territory. Thanks for coming along for the ride. There's emotions in every climate aspect. For me personally, it's emotional when I think about losing the land uh, of years past, of thinking about the places that we hold sacred now may no longer exist in 50, 100 years or sooner. I remember this, uh, this sense of hopelessness in my teacher's voice in this sixth grade classroom. And she's like, yeah, this is the system we live under and it's probably not going to change no matter what you do. And from that moment on, I was like, I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> It was something that I'd kind of always wanted to do. Like once I learned about it, I was like, this is going to be the defining issue of my life. I think sometimes I try to balance uh, the burnout that comes from doing a lot of work um, with realizing that I actually am fueled by doing more. (laughs) And these past two years was when I faced that burnout and this year has really been about learning how to manage that. And it's been more than just external development. It's really taken like internal work as well. Am I, am I currently burnt out? I think it depends on the day. I think it depends on the week, how my week is going. When I've been feeling burnout, it's usually cause I'm also, there's also a, a degree of loneliness um, and, and not feeling like I'm in community or solidarity with others. Um, and like, I have to, like, I'm kind of a lo- like carrying too much weight by myself. And that's the, that's also where the like hero complex can really shoot us in the foot because it's really not up to any one individual to solve the climate crisis like that's not what it's about and in fact if you're trying to do that you're probably actually not organizing very well right
I think that a lot of us experienced this. Like we didn't realize that we were burnt out and that we were miserable until we were forced to stop moving. Like I had been going so fast for so long that I thought that everybody, I thought that was just the way that life was. It was like you're always exhausted and kind of half in, half out of whatever you're doing. And that's just the way it works. And then having to be home for six months and not having anything to do, I think that I kind of unintentionally addressed it because I was forced to not do anything. I hated all my classes. I wasn't putting any real effort into anything that I was doing. And I think that I didn't realize that the reason that that was happening was because I was burned out. But over the past year, I think that it was kind of like I just hit a breaking point that I didn't even realize was a breaking point until I wasn't in it anymore. And I was like, oh, that's what that was. I feel like I've been consistently burnt out since I was 14 and I'm 23 now. In high school, you know, it was just I, I was always in uh, like higher placement classes from the time I was in like elementary school. And that was just like what was expected of me was to like get good grades and to be in classes above my grade level and, you know, whatever all of that means. And I don't even think it was important to me. It was just what was expected of me. And so I, I did it. But then also tried to do the things that were important to me, which have always been like more creative endeavors. So I did yearbook and I was in chorus and I did theater and I took art elective and I took photography classes. And that's the stuff that really mattered to me. And I was going to make time for it. And I still was going to be good at the thing that was expected of me. And then I got to college and it was kind of the same deal. And I never realized how busy I was. I remember junior year when I was like working an internship was the music director of my college radio station and like taking a full course load. Uh, one of my roommates said to me, like, you are the busiest person I've ever met. I live with you and I, I never see you and I never even registered it. In fact, I like have always kind of considered myself a lazy person. And it wasn't really, I think my experience of burnout really shifted when I graduated college. And then three months later, the pandemic started because of two things. The first being that leaving school, it was like, I no longer had a clear idea of what was expected of me. I no longer had this goalpost. And I had to kind of think about like, well, what do I want my career to look like? What are my priorities in my career? And it felt so much more difficult to kind of like get this external validation that I'd always received because there was no longer like an ideal. And second, when the pandemic hit, I lost all of like, I wouldn't say coping mechanisms necessarily, but the things that made me not think about how burnout I was. Um, like I've always really prioritized making time for my friends and making time for my social life because I think that's an important facet of life and it's something that's very enriching to me. And when I no longer had that and I no longer could run from a responsibility of mine to a party with my friends, it and, and I had that downtime that we were all forced to have, I think suddenly I just became aware of how burnout I had consistently been. What exactly is burnout? Essentially, how doctors describe it is the inability for us to 
fully complete the stress response cycle. So what that means is, is you know, the, the best way to explain it is like in terms of like how the human brain evolved. We evolved in circumstances where our survival was dependent upon us being able to outrun the things that could kill us. The example that I learned this with is a human spots a lion. And the lion is barreling at you and the human has to outrun it and get to safety. And this is the best example of the stress response cycle because we have a stimuli, seeing the lion, that makes our brain go, wee-oo, wee-oo, like, this is a problem, get the fuck out of here. And so the you get stressed, your cortisol levels rise, your body goes into fight or flight mode, and you haul ass to get back to your tribe or whatever is the safe space for you. And you you do it, you survive, you get there, and when you get there, you tell all of the people, all of the other people that you love and care about are there to like greet you and be like, oh my God, you survived. Like this is, this is great. And then you come down from that stress. You come down from that high, that adrenaline. And your brain goes, you're safe now. Here's a reward. You're good. Burnout is when the stress cycle is triggered and then you never get to complete that. You never get the second half of it. Then you just keep adding on to it it's like stress edging like <laughs> it's like in in the modern world it's like we just have something stresses us out in the morning like you know you have you have to do laundry that day it's a small stressor but it piles on to other things mm -hmm. and then like you go to work for eight hours a day and then you a bunch of things happen that are like micro stresses that like keep right. pushing you and pushing you and then you never really get a chance to like resolve them there's no like okay it's over now exactly and then it's not even like we don't even get that at the end of the work week now either the time that we're thinking about work just keeps spilling into more and more of our time and so there's there's less boundaries that tell us that we're we're safe we can stop this mm -hmm. and because a lot of these stresses are like you know interpersonal communication is like really complex and we don't know how to you know if something is resolved like is it is that right. like and so burnout is the human brain over time succumbing to this inability to resolve stress. And it gets to a point where you break and your body forces you to resolve it because your body can't, can't take it anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening to all of us. We've built up these stressors and now we're dealing with the repercussions of never meaningfully resolving any of the stressors that we're experiencing. So that's burnout. It's stress edging. <laughs> Not as fun as other kinds. We're experiencing stress on so many different levels, right? So we're in the middle of a pandemic that is killing thousands of people every day. For one, <laughs> consider. Two, we're in an ongoing climate crisis, which is also killing people every day. Three, this has triggered a recession that is the likes that are supposed to be once of a lifetime. It's the second in my lifetime so far. And it's recession part two, electric boogaloo. <laughs> How dare I forget the scientific term? <laughs> yeah, with respect on the economist's name. And economic stress is one of the most intimate kinds that we can experience. And 
but it's it's on a more micro level it's you know it's something that's so personal to an individual and defines every other aspect of your own individual life compounds all of your other stressors so it's like you've got like this incredibly intimate stress of like how am I going to pay my rent at the end of the month like what am I going to do if I lose my job when the job market is in the tank but at the same time it's this existential threats that make all of our like day-to-day lives seem so trivial but you have to care about both it can be very very frustrating and super overwhelming when you you look at the amount of work that needs to be done and you look at the at the inaction of our supposed leaders and you realize like, oh, I have to step up and be this leader. I have to take on this this crazy world. I think there's a lot of pressure uh, as Americans, especially, but in our society to be productive. And we really have to feel like there's this, at least for me, I don't know if this is true for you or for others, but this sense of insecurity if I'm not being productive. And I have to, at all times, be structuring my time around a- activities that are product- productive and you know, are building towards something. At a very young age, I started to recognize the intersections between climate and all of these other issues. So gender, gender justice, racial justice, reproductive justice and how they're all connected and they require different solutions, but solving climate change is one solution to improving all of these problems. I used to be, I was raised Christian um, and there is like a very, um, very much a martyrdom that can come along with also what, you know, people term a Protestant work ethic, right? Um, And I do see that permeate um, the nonprofit space. It's unavoidable in this discussion to not, like, like, we cannot not talk about capitalism and, like, our relationship with work and the way that, like, we ensure that our material condition in life is as satisfactory. I I feel like I am sometimes burnt out because I see so much more that could be done. I get up at 4.45 or 5 in the morning. I'm on my laptop by 5 and I am pretty much on it until 10 p.m. almost every day. Sometimes there's exercise in between, although I have a treadmill desk, which (laughs) kills two birds with one stone. So it's a lot of hours um, and that is entirely on me. That is my responsibility. I, if I start to resent myself for that, it's really only my, my fault. The anxiety, I think, is definitely there, almost in a self-critical way. I feel like has impact. I had many jobs in between 
then and now that didn't give me that. And so I was always kind of scheming on the side for opportunities to feel that impact. Um, and actually when I didn't have that was when I felt probably the most burnout. I think part of it is almost trauma of getting laid off and losing that steady income and being like, okay, I can't say no to anything now. Um, but realizing that I actually now that's not an excuse anymore because I, you know, am financially stable enough where I don't have to say yes to everything. Um, it's almost like, okay, now I'm kind of growing something and I feel like I'm, don't want that something, that organization to say no to things if it makes sense for them. Um, and right now that means me. <laughs> Justifying that I am doing the best that I can do in this moment or that, that this is the right solution. Because of the, the system of capitalism in which we exist, Climate is not just something that we care about. It's also what pays our bills. It's missing the thing that like you care the most about with like your deep-seated need to provide for yourself. Exactly. And sometimes that, that is like really contradictory. The labor that we do for a for a charitable, philanthropic, whatever cause, which I don't like those words, but that's like you know in a in a in a in a cause that's that's meant to be better bettering humanity right like that some of that labor is devalued as like as like labor that is that should be done from love right like a labor of love sometimes i feel like my life has been consumed by climate change sometimes i i feel like i'm jealous of my peers who work in a maybe they care about climate but they work in a different industry so i feel like if you don't work in the industry there's a part of your brain where you can turn it off for a few hours or for a few days of the week i feel like my relationship with climate change and climate work has evolved to the point where i'm always thinking about it the idea that you have a stressor and you go through your reaction and then it's over like simply doesn't how do, how do you even do that when your entire job is like all about the biggest stressor that we are all thinking about right now so in terms of my relationship with climate change climate change is everything to me whether that's good or bad whether that's healthy or unhealthy it is just a part of me. It, it impacts so much of how I live and how I choose to live. Um, there has been guilt, especially when there are volunteers or others that are, that are working in my stead. Worry and worrying about what's going to happen if I do stop working on fighting climate change. How do you have like a work-life balance when your entire life is like, because your work is your passion? 
like you can't go home and stop thinking about your meetings tomorrow. Yes, somewhat. And I realized I didn't answer your earlier question about do I sometimes feel guilt about experiencing burnout in the climate industry? And I would say yes, absolutely. Sometimes I feel like um, as climate organizers, we put so much pressure on ourselves to always be working and always be productive. There's no time to waste. And we constantly reinforce this messaging to each other and to ourselves like we have less than 10 years to save the climate we have less than 10 years to save the climate it's now nine years it's now eight years there's no time to waste so i feel like um emotionally myself i can only speak for myself but i put pressure on myself to continue going because i feel that urgency and i don't want to feel unfaithful to my cause. I want to continue to um, be a productive member of this movement because we have work that we need to accomplish. And so oftentimes I might find myself continuing to do the work while I'm burnt out. And that leads to me not taking very good care of myself as a person. And that's not how it should be. You know the the labor, and it's there's a lot of work that should be uh, that's that is doing being done by a few people, that should be done by an entire movement, right? I think this goes back to like a larger ideal in our society, which is that we all should be working towards a dream job, and that your job is what you are. It's an identity, and I think that idea is so toxic. I had a like hour long conversation with my friend about that exact thing earlier today. We're both kind of like in the middle of many crises and we're trying to figure out the thing that we were told we were supposed to do is not what we want to do, but we want to have a stable life. It was that, that question that you sent this morning of like, if money didn't matter, what would you want to spend your life doing? I've been thinking about that all day. I was just trying to think about things that wouldn't burn me out. And I'm like, I don't know how to do, I care about climate. This is my passion. This is what I want to do. How do I find a way to do it that isn't exhausting emotionally? And I don't know if I have an answer to that yet. I think ideally, I would not want to do climate work as my job. I would rather organize on my own terms in the time that I have free. But because of what's expected of us within American work culture. We don't have that time free. So it's like, this is what I'm going to be spending the majority of my life doing, is doing my job. I want it to be something I care about. But anytime you're doing something you care about within a marketplace, it's going to not only be like your own ideals, but there's like room for co-option there. and like room for kind of an identity crisis within that. Because if you built your identity around like what your job is and your job is what someone else tells you to do, that's like letting someone else define you. To take it in a step further, like we in working in climate, we have a value set of like a vastly different view of the world. Mm -hmm. Like we want to have like a, Uh, a view of the world that is 
directly opposed to like the system that exists currently that has like led to the work structures that we have to operate in. And so I think like the big crisis there is that like, like you said, Vic, like making sure that like, how do we pair our ideals and our values with a job that can then provide for us materially? Because if we don't, we have so many examples around us of what we do, what will happen to us if we don't work, what happens to us if we like go against the system and like, you know, people experiencing homelessness, people experiencing, you know, hunger, starvation wages, like all of that is like built into the system as like reinforcements for uh, to push us in a direction to just like pick a job, pick something that's close enough to your dream and you can make it or like something along those lines. And that, and that's how we keep leading into this cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had such a strange disillusionment after graduating college and scrolling through job listings because I I take my we're not prepared for it. We're not prepared for it. Also, I feel like the things that are are stressed within uh, an education system are so different than what is the nature of the job market and like my commitment to climate is very personal like all of my personal decisions are influenced by that and i i'm not like advocating that everyone needs to be like that but that's just like how i personally i'm a very all or nothing person so like i am vegan i only buy clothing secondhand um and meanwhile like i i have a journalism degree and if i can't get journalism jobs something that would be a uh, something else I'm qualified for would be like a marketing job. How am I going to market clothes to people when I don't even buy clothes that are freshly made like myself? Um, so it's like all of these, I don't know, just like how you have to reckon with your own values and stuff within the workforce is something that I don't hear addressed often, but it's something I felt really deeply. I think that it's addressed and that we're told not to. To ignore it. To ignore it, yeah. Like the expectation is that you do what you want to do outside of work, but when you're at work, you listen to your boss and you uphold the values of whatever organization you're working for. You bend. Exactly. You have to be flexible. And I think that a big part of like what our people our age are struggling with is like we don't want to do that. Like we as a generation, I think, have a very, very strong set of morals because we've grown up in this society that we have with full awareness. Yeah. And with full awareness because of the Internet and social media of reality. That like we have no interest in in faking it anymore. Mm -hmm. And like how. but we're still trying to enter a workforce where we're expected to ignore it. Yeah, I I find it harder and harder. I mean, you 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 exactly like what you said with the internet and like we grew up seeing the faults in the system before we were old enough to get into the system. Mhm in a way that like other generations haven't. So like we've had all this time to be critical of it before we started entering it. So now that we're partaking in it, we're and like, it's still absolute trash. We're <laughs> like, 
the fuck? We had all this time. Like, right. Like, I, no, go ahead. Sorry. Vic, what you said really uh, triggered something in my mind that was interesting. You said that you are a real all or nothing type person with your values and that like you either go in 100% or you're the or, or or not. And I I found that interesting because I am almost the complete opposite with it. Like I have a really like it, it, it's almost painful to the point where I'm like debating my values as I make every like every decision and I'm mm-hmm. kind of like okay, where is my moral flexibility? And I think that part of that comes from just like having to compromise on so many of my values over over such a long time already because I started working when I was 14 and then I started like having to provide myself and do the hustle you know growing up poor and like having to do that shit and like you know the hustle mentality in the United States is like if you're poor you have to hustle and you can make it big and you can do that quote unquote American dream bald eagle screeching flying in America with gun shooting that type of idea was like still deeply ingrained in me up until up until the pandemic hit and so like I keeping that in my mind I didn't realize how many of my values I was like so easily compromising on just because I was like if I keep hustling I will I'll I'll get a promotion I'll get the next job I'll be able to get a better job I'll be able to put this on my resume and I'll be able to do that and like claw my way up and like Mm -hmm. fit into the system and I realized that like now looking back on it like retrospectively I've been able to be like that is like textbook example of like how the system shapes the way that like we we interact with our values in the like the workforce and and it was just interesting to me because I didn't I, I haven't thought of it in the context of my own values outside of like my labor but 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 it's bled through into other aspects of my life in ways that I have not expected and it's interesting like that the way that we idealize hustle is something I think about constantly because yeah it's it we have such a, I mean, it's, it's talked about all the time, the bootstrap mentality that perforates through American culture. And it really doesn't, something I think about constantly is the fact that we glamorize work or we valorize work, we worship work without ever talking about the value that that work creates. It's just work for the sake of work. We never stop and think, wait, are, what are we actually working for? what value does this add to society or is it actually harming society, the work that we're doing? It doesn't matter. That's irrelevant to the fact that like everyone must work, must be working all the time, work, work, work. The Puritan work ethic uh, is like the foundational belief in like the, in, in the quote unquote cult of capitalism. And that like the more you work and the more you toil in this mortal realm, the better chance you have of the afterlife being better, despite the fact that like the Puritans already believe that like predestination and that like their afterlife was chosen. They thought that doing this work endlessly would give them a better shot. And that's kind of, that, that's kind of, you know, 
I see all these TikToks where it's like, what's your favorite historical domino effect? And I'm like, Martin Luther led to the fact that I have to wake up every morning, open my silly little laptop, and <laughs> send silly little emails. Like, thanks, Martin Luther. I, I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on like the relationship between climate advocacy, nonprofits, and like the the martyr mentality of overworking. I mean, I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with if you if you have something you're passionate about, if you have this change that you want to see in the world, but you also know that you're going to spend the majority of your life working, then you're going to want that work to be important. And so in once you have an opportunity to do that work and to pay your bills with that work, I feel like we'll do anything to make that our reality. Um, and it's, I, I think there is a lot of martyrdom and a savior complex to people that work in the nonprofit field. It's like we've been playing Jenga for 200 years and like everybody else has been pulling pieces out and we walk in and we don't know how to play and they're like, okay, it's about to crumble. And we're like, well, what are we supposed to do? Like you have to follow the rules. You have to, it's like when you're the last person to pull a piece out, you're like, of course it's going to fall apart. It's not my fault that I happen to be going last. It's just shitty luck. And like, that's where we are is like, we can wait and try and like make it work for a little bit longer, but everybody is miserable. We're not living in a society where people are getting what they want or what they need. We're just not. And we know that. And we are, I think, the first generation to have grown up knowing that. And the fact that we are now at an age where we're being pushed out of the nest and being told, okay, now you go. And we're like, this is what I get? <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Yeah, that that's a thought that, like, is, you know, the other part of, you know, the other part of fueling the burnout is that, like, on top of all the stressors of work, and meeting material needs and like working on and like climate change and all that there's also this added stress of like grappling with the values and then there's this other part of it that like when you do hit that burnout that sometimes the way that like that presents itself is you know wanting to be the person that you know you you're so worried about pulling out that last block of jenga and the tower falling that all you want to do is go step away from the table and start building, you know, little Stonehenge with the Jenga blocks, like a, like a kid. Right. And like, like, I think that that apathy, that burnout fueled apathy is not the means for us to achieve one a society full of happy people or two, you know, achieve the goals of like solving the crises that make us stressed in the first place. I think hustle culture is very much a byproduct of individualism and this competitiveness that we all have because we all have been led to believe that we need to make it for ourselves and no one else is looking out for us. And if we don't take care of ourselves and meet our needs, then no one else is going to do it, right? And I, I think that the anecdote to that 
is care, it's community, it's solidarity. And maybe if we all trusted that we had a network of care and support that was going to be there for us when we're, when we can't be there for ourselves because of the pandemic recession or any other instance of precarity that we're going to see increasing amounts of as the climate crisis continues. Maybe if we all trusted that we had that community of care behind us, we wouldn't be so afraid of not having enough and we wouldn't keep striving for more. I think it would be beautiful if we could create a climate movement that was built from the care up and started, you know, the first three Django blocks on that tower are, you know, love, cushions. care, and empathy. They're not blocks, they're yeah, cushions. Yeah, cushions, exactly. Like, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a tower of blocks surrounded by cushions. All of us are screaming blocks. I think this metaphor is getting out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this metaphor is getting out of hand one block at a time. Um, we had a conversation a couple of days ago about about how the climate movement is kind of divided amongst nonprofits and advocacy groups. And I'm still having a hard time understanding what that means. I don't think that the divisions between nonprofit groups and advocacy groups, what I was saying is that I think there's a difference between advocacy, activism, and organizing. And I think they've all kind of been conflated. And I think they also have all been like turned into identities when they're not identities they're they're verbs and if you look at like the root of each word they're all different like advocate is to speak about something and activism is based in you know acting and I, I often think about the difference between advocacy and activism as advocacy is kind of bringing something to the attention of the powers that be to say, you know, like, hey, can you pay attention to this? It's important. Whereas activism is more demanding that something can be done or, or saying we're going to do it ourselves. And organizing, I think, is very much rooted in community, in care, and in, you know, to organize a group of people to do something together. But I think they're all different. I think there's people that do all three. I think there's organizations that do all three. But I do think that there are important differences. And something I noticed is that people don't seem to understand the difference between talking about something and doing something anymore. Like, I feel like we're all so caught up in representation that because everything is just in the talking, people don't understand the difference between advocacy and activism because they don't know what it is to do and this is something I suffered from as well I talk about things all the time and I tweet about them and I podcast about them but I think that's a fundamentally different thing it's a fundamentally different thing than like putting your boots on the ground and being out there in the community and working towards that better world over the like summer of 2018, we started the chapter at the hub at AU, at American. And one thing that 
I already knew, but was like really clearly confirmed for me in that first year was people really like to say that they're part of something and that's it. People really like to say that they're part of something. And then when it comes to making sacrifices, 90% of the people who say they're a part of it aren't going to show up. And it's really, really hard as a leader of something that you care about so deeply and are so passionate about, but aren't passionate about it because you think it's cool or interesting, but because you're terrified and you feel like it's the only thing worth spending your time on to realize that 90% of the people who show interest in what you're doing and say they care about it aren't going to show up. And especially on climate, there is like a part of me that really fundamentally does not understand why everybody isn't freaking out 100% of the time. Like really, I don't get it. It's really hard for me to have conversations with people who aren't on the same page as me because I get mad. What has ended up happening is I realized that like for me, organizing as my job as like my number one priority is not sustainable. I had a a conversation with my cousin like three years ago, almost, I think it was my first semester that I was in college. And he did a lot of organizing when, when he was in college. And we were talking about it and he asked me what my plans were, if I like planned on continuing. And I said, yes. And he was like, okay, just as a warning, it's not sustainable as a job you're not going to be able to keep doing it. And I thought he was crazy. And I was like, there's no way thinking to myself, I, he doesn't get it. He doesn't know how much I care. And now I know exactly what he was thinking. The pressure that I think a lot of climate organizers feel like climate leaders, especially who are responsible for getting people to show up who are told by other leaders that this is it. A lot of your like self-worth, I think, is tied into the work that you do. Um, A lot of people, I think my like number one identity for them is that I do climate work. I'm the activist. I'm the climate girl. I'm the environmental girl. That's who I was in high school. And that's, I think, what a lot of my friends still think of me as today. Um, And it's really, really hard to fail at that when it's not just like nobody comes to your birthday party. It's nobody comes to this thing that you have been saying for two months is the most important, like, the last chance that we have at a future, right? Because that's what it always is, is it's our last chance. It's our last chance. And it's always our last chance. Well, I cannot take all the pain, all the shock that we feel when bad things happened and uh, internalizing. Obviously, the pandemic is a big one, but there were many other things that we always feel like we're never doing enough. And especially for me, I'm, I'm a Capricorn, an overachiever, we're always told that we're always on the go and doing many things. And it's true, but you have to also set boundaries that you don't have to be doing everything all the time. 
um, that's where that enormous amount of pressure comes to to organize, 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 and and create the most drastic change we can while we still have time because like there's there's so much at stake and the anxiety is is just proving that and in that moment i just made a decision like i had to trust that i had done everything in my power before that to make sure this bill is gonna pass and obviously i was not the only one advocating for this bill there was 550 of us who can endorse this bill and that's organizations not people so that's a multiplying effect of a few million people so i was like i need to trust that this is going to work out i can still follow it from my from my phone on twitter and at dinner i can still check my email later but i don't have to be on top of it a hundred percent i don't think that whether or not i'm being paid is the issue i think that it's really difficult to grapple with the responsibility of knowing that sometimes it is completely out of your control whether or not you know you can individually reach out to 200 people and there's absolutely no guarantee of how well an action will go how many people will phone bank how many people will show up to anything that you're trying to do but also it is in your control you're probably going to get more people to show up if you text 200 people than if you only text 100 and so the balance between that individual responsibility and self-care and boundaries is really really difficult to manage And I think that a lot of organizers have a lot of trouble with that. And for some people, it's something that they don't mind having trouble with, and they will put 100% into it, 150% into it. And I've gotten to the point now where I can't put 150% into it. And sometimes that makes me feel like shit because I think that I'm I'm letting my – 16 year old self down I'm letting my 18 year old self down and I feel like I'm letting down other organizers I'm letting down people who don't know me I feel like I'm letting down future generations of people who are left with this earth that I wasn't able to save so for me I've always associated burnout in climate stuff with guilt Final suggestions, thoughts on how we can and work through the burnout in whatever way possible. You know, I don't want this to turn into a BuzzFeed listicle about feeling burned out. Here are 10 tips for self-care, you know, <laughs> wellness Wednesday type thing. I mean, like, like, what do we need to change as individuals and like as people operating within a certain system? I think step one, get rid of COVID. That would help. <laughs> No brainer. Step two, fix the climate. Step three, profit. Get a dog. 
That's my plan. Step four, get a dog. Step four, get a dog. Step five, take dog in Subaru to the mountains. (laughs) Step five, take dog in gray, blue khaki Subaru cross track up to the mountains. I feel attacked. (laughs) I feel deeply attacked. I have a metallic gray Subaru cross track. Not that the khaki blue was sold out when I got my cross track. <laughs> That's the one that I want. Oh my god. Oh god. I, the stereotype is real. <laughs> I love being a lesbian soccer mom. It's one of my favorite pastimes. I think oh we should god. all culturally be lesbians, at least. At the very least. A lesbian lesbian mothers, soccer mothers. That's the all goal. I want. Step six. I, my like number one thing that I've always wanted, which I'm like, I don't even know how to make this a reality, but I really, really think that a lot of it comes from the top down, like a cultural shift in company culture, organizing culture, where it's like the people who, you see as never being burnt out definitely are but one maybe don't know how to identify it don't have the time to stop but like imagine how impactful it would be if like a you know if your ceo of your nonprofit was like from day one of starting whatever organization created a culture where there is no we I'm in this business ethics class right now which is like it's a requirement at AU yeah I would not take a business class um intentionally but I I accidentally took a business class too (laughs) It was the only one that fit into my schedule. Anyway, um, I we have been talking about, like, company culture, and I'm always like, eh, okay. But really, like, I think that that's part of why organizations that do have a, you know, culture of care are successful, generally, and, like, have happier volunteers, employees, whoever it may be. It's not, you don't have to be everything all the time. You start to choose which one you are in different movements and in different situations. Really creating a more sustainable world is kind of about creating a more loving and supportive world in many ways. And we can't do that until we work on ourselves. I feel like like it's also super important if you're doing Mother Earth's work through organizing and through um, stopping this crisis, then it's it's key to to in exchange heal from her and and um, reap the benefits of this world we live in because it's it's so it's so beautiful and and fruitful and and it's ours to explore you know 
especially as a woman of color and trying to set really hard boundaries. I set one today and it was terrifying. It was, it was scary. If it's not accessible to the poor, it's neither radical nor revolutionary. And I felt that a lot of climate <laughs> messaging and activism wasn't accessible to the poor. My other advice will be, try to be, and don't be a mile wide and an inch deep. Try to find something that you're really good at. Like for me, as I am really good, like farmers of color policy, that's my thing. And like food justice, that's my thing. But don't try to be everything and everything in the food, in the climate justice, environmental movement. Be good at one thing, I would say. And it's, it's hard to speak like just to climate generally because the people that care about this issue the most are the youngest of us. And we have no power. We don't have wealth. We don't have notoriety. We don't have the things that equate to power within the society. And a lot of us can't even vote yet, you know? Like, that I hope our generation will take really will consider is like more more stake of the worker in the work environment whether that looks like unionizing or whether that looks like having the actual structure of your company be a co-op where it's a worker-owned business the feelings of guilt associated with with taking self-care and i think that's because self-care is not an actual effective solution to burnout at least in like what we like consider self-care and like our modern discourse as like, you know, oh, going to the spa, getting a massage or like, you know what I mean? Like binge watching something on Netflix. Like, I mm -hmm. think that like that self-care does not address the things that stress us out. Self-care helps us forget about the things that are stressing us out, but we're not ending. We're not completing the cycle. We're just delaying the edging. Absolutely. You're edging yeah. the edging. You're ed you're 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 edging it. Oh, oh my and, god, yeah. And so like we you know, I, I I'm I I want to make sure that like we, you know we we should not feel guilty about doing the things that will benefit us mentally to address our burnout. And that might be, you know, for every every person that's different. Because all the things that stress us out are different. When I think of self care, I visualize a garden and a garden is not going to grow and it's not going to be fruitful if you don't water it if you don't prune it if you don't tend to it if you don't give it rich fertilizer from your compost and that is what we all are we are all living biological entities and we're not going to be able to perform unless we invest that time in taking care of our garden. Thanks for listening to this episode of Uncharted Territory. This show is produced by me, Charlie Olson, uh, with help from my co-hosts, Louisa Keani and Victoria Middleton. I want to thank all of the wonderful people 
who allowed me to share their stories uh, and talked with me about their experience. If you enjoyed this show, please, please, please leave us a rating and a review. That is the best way for people to find out about our show. If you really enjoyed this episode, think about sharing it with your friends, sharing it on your social media. That would be awesome. If you want to get in contact with us, talk about what we're doing or tell us your story, you can reach out to us on Twitter at UnchartedPod. And if you're feeling really generous, please leave us some feedback uh, at the link in the show notes below. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.